Welcome to Regeneration Studio. I'm Katerina Jubar, and today is our monthly edition of the International Corner, where I talk to specialists and noteworthy individuals from across the globe about a pressing issue in society linked to careers, mental health, well-being, and, well, life in general. Since the invention of telephones, the first easy, quick, long-distance communication platform, new and improved means of staying in touch with people around the world have been created. Today we are privy to the lives of people we might have only met once without having to actually speak to them ever again. Social media, with all its pros and cons, is one of the most defining aspects of modern day social and business life. It's hard to imagine living without it, especially now as it played a central role in our lockdown lives. We have to ask ourselves, does social media usage increase anxiety? Does it increase anxiety more since the COVID-19 crisis started? If you have a social media account, you would have most likely experienced one of two things, usually both. The need to check your account regularly, normally without needing to and while doing something else, and a feeling of inadequacy as your brain makes automatic comparisons between what you see and your own life. A few of us might have also come across trolls, their inflammatory comments or other forms of discrimination and slander. All of the above might have gotten worse as we became more reliant on social media during lockdown. Our whole life, work, education, shopping, interaction with friends, family, leisure activities, even sport, all of it migrated to an online platform. If mental health specialists were concerned about our screen time before COVID-19, I believe they will have their work cut out for them to fight against an unhealthy reliance on digital devices as we slowly move towards a state of recovery. From my own struggle with feelings of worthlessness caused by social media, I believe it's such a relevant issue, but difficult to manage positively and talk about openly when there is a real problem. I'm delighted, therefore, to introduce my guest today, educational psychologist Benet Katabua, who will be shedding some light on some of these issues and how to deal with them, especially for younger people. Welcome to the show, Benet. Oh, thank you so much. That was a lovely introduction. Thank you. To give our listeners an idea of who you are, Imagine mm. there's a film soon to be released called Benet. Can mm. you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer? All right, let me set the scene. So, <laughs> you know, imagine kind of panning from the ground upwards, a ton of pot plants around and like peeking over the top of some of the plants. You might see a head bouncing around kind of frantically and things falling all over the place. And then you would start to hear the trailer Introducing Benet, who fancies herself a Jane of all trades, but really just gets by with the bare necessities, or as she would call it, the Benet necessities. Fueled by sugar and chocolate, she's driven to go around and connect with people in her lives, 
adding color to an otherwise black and white experience. Yeah, I would say that that would be my film trailer. <laughs> Part 1. Alleviating the stigma around mental health. I believe you are very passionate about combating anxiety in young people. You work for a medical centre in Abu Dhabi that provides psychological and education services to children to help them overcome social or emotional problems. What made you decide to become a child and educational psychologist? Yeah, I think one of the big defining moments was moving to South Africa. So I'm a I'm, you know, as an immigrant, I think our experience pre-apartheid was really impactful and I was really privy to I guess lots of suffering during that time, whether it's my peers suffering due to the kind of the racial discrimination, the big change and the system, familial breakdown, etc. And as a young child, I was very sensitive to those kinds of things. And I think that that really sparked a flame inside of me, um, whereby I really recognized how much other people experience things that are so different from my own experience and how much just kind of being there for someone and connecting with someone provides such a sense of relief. And I think from there, I've always been just kind of been interested in working with young people. And the older that I've got, the more I realized how important the formative years are. And that's when I then decided to kind of go ahead with psychology. And to be honest, in my undergrad, I didn't know that the direction I wanted to go in was children. I just knew that I was interested in the human experience. And I absolutely loved studying. And after my honors year, I wasn't sure what to do. so. I took a year off to work and I ended up working at a school and that's where I really realized like, oh, these are my people. These are the people that I really want to be able to work with. And then from there, I went on to do my master's and I've been working with children ever since. Great. You qualified as a psychologist in Johannesburg as well and opened your first practice there. Mm -hmm. To give us some cultural context, did you have to make any major changes to adapt to work life in Abu Dhabi? I did. I guess it's, it's a bit hard to separate the work changes and the life changes. Mm -hmm. But if I really had to think about it, one of the big things I had to do was really explicitly think about being culturally sensitive. I mean, in South Africa, of course, we're culturally sensitive, but it's a lot easier to kind of adapt because I was so much more familiar with people's beliefs and ways of being and being here I'm completely a fish out of water and uh, I really had to be careful not to impose my own views and my own judgments on the families that I'm working with and really just continuously remember that the child's best interest is what is at heart and kind of staying in line with the mentality and the beliefs of the people here I think that was quite an adjustment is to just kind of adapt to the lifestyle and the beliefs of people that are so different from what I'm accustomed to and what I'm used to. But thankfully, the longer that you're here and the more that you talk to people, the more you kind of understand what's happening around you. And it's a lot easier to then kind of put yourself in their position and put yourself in their shoes to really respect and honor their beliefs a lot more. Yes, I see. Mm -hmm. And 
are there any restrictions on social media usage in Abu Dhabi? There are, there are some. So we have access to a lot of social media platforms. The big difference is when it comes to video calling or just making calls through voice over internet protocols, that's where there's a lot more limitations. And I think it was in towards the end of 2017, they started banning a lot of those kind of calls and ways to access others through most of the platforms and the main reason for that was around security. So although there is access to social media, it's still limited in terms of how people can access social media. I see. That's interesting. Mm. In some countries, people and organizations have begun to speak more openly about mental health issues like anxiety and taking into consideration the impact that it may have on our lives. However, I think there is still a resistance to seeking help. From my own experience, I know how hard it is to admit when something's wrong. What is your opinion on alleviating the stigma around mental health? Yeah, I hear you when you say how difficult it is to ask for help or to admit when there's something wrong. And as much as we like to think of ourselves as progressive, etc., I think we've been fed, even unconsciously, so many messages about the kinds of people who look for help. And we're so worried about being perceived in a certain way or perceiving ourselves in a certain way. I think we haven't necessarily valued our mental health as much as we would our physical health. And I think that that's one of the big things in alleviating mental health stigma is really just to recognize its value and to think about how important it is for us to feel fulfilled in what it is that we're doing. And that taking care of yourself can look like so many different things when it comes to mental health, whether it's seeking therapy or going out for a job because you're stressed or taking yoga or journaling. It can look like so many different things. And so I think one of the big things in alleviating mental health is, number one, just to kind of break the box of what health looks like and what taking care of yourself looks like. I think the media is doing, I mean, an okay job at the moment in terms of like some TV shows and celebrities talking about things. So I think that that's really helping, but there's still so much more work to be done to start to unravel the messages that we've told ourselves and that we've grown to believe and to unlearn some of those beliefs. Yes, that's very true. And then I totally understand when you say that you don't want to be putting yourself into a certain box by seeking help like mm. you don't want to become one of those people but and all of this makes it harder for us to actually seek help would you say that there has been a further shift a positive shift in the view on mental health issues during the pandemic that people are more open about them i do think so and I mean, I want to be sensitive to what's happening in the world and how difficult it is. But I think that putting a pause has really helped, I guess, some important things filter through to the top. And I think mental health is really one of them. I'm seeing now a little bit more than before, so many more families talking about their mental health, right? And talking to each other as well about and having the time and the space to even 
speak to one another and to connect with one another and to find ways for like opening up and having someone hold you together, um, which is so incredible to see. And people are sharing more of those experiences. So I do think that there, there has been a positive shift. I don't know if it's just because of the media that I'm consuming, but I'm finding even illustrators, so many more people are talking about their difficulties, even things that they experienced prior to lockdown, but definitely lockdown and having that pause has made and maybe even forced people to become a little bit more insightful of what's happening internally for them. And I think that that's something that's really beneficial. And I would definitely encourage people to keep talking about it because the more we hear about it, the more we recognize that, hey, it's normal, right? That's the only way that we can normalize all of this is by hearing about it more and making it a lot more easier to digest without it being something so far off it. Yes. Part two, stepping into the comparison minefield of social media. Spending most of their time on their phones or tablets was already a reality for people, especially teenagers and young adults, even before COVID-19 and the lockdown. Social media is one reason why we are so attached to our devices. We have all experienced minutes flying by as we scroll through social media threads, mostly as a distraction from whatever else we were doing. What are the warning signs that our usage of social media is harmful to our mental health? It's mm, a great question. I think just in general, when we start to depend on something external to regulate something internal, we should already start to kind of question the health of that, whether it's depending on your partner or depending on food or alcohol or sex to regulate what's happening internally. And I think a lot of us do that with social media where we kind of, as soon as we're up, we're already scrolling on our phones or we can't go to the loo without having our phones attached to us. And I do think that that's when it starts to become harmful is when you feel like it's so difficult to detach and it's almost second nature or autopilot when we're starting to kind of just go straight to that application and without thinking, right? And that happens a lot where you're just kind of mindlessly just scrolling and you're finding that so much time has gone and you really can't even say what it is that you spent your time doing. And I think that that's when it's really, when, when we start to think, okay, how did I spend my time today? I have no clue what, what I did for the last one and a half hours, because it's all good and well to be on these media platforms, but more mindfully than anything. I think there should be purpose towards what it is that we're logging in for. Um, I think when we start to recognize that it's just becoming second nature and autopilot, and that we're needing it to kind of satiate something inside of us when I think it's necessary to question a little bit about what our relationship is to our device. I agree. And just from my own experience, again, like I try and set a time in the day where I go onto social media. Regardless of that, I do find myself opening up applications when I'm not kind of meant to. Um, and that's just to show how easy it is. It's just that kind of distraction and it's automatic. Why do we become addicted to our favorite social media platforms? 
Ah, oh, the brain is a wonderful thing, hey? Um, so research shows actually that a lot of the things that we're doing on the screen is really using a neurotransmitter called dopamine, which is, is all about pleasure and reward, uh, which is incredible to think that something like our screens can give us that kind of sensation, even neurologically, that's insane. Um, and so it's easy then to become addicted, right? And the thing is with dopamine is the more you feel it or the more you've got it, the more you want it, right? That's what makes it addictive. And we're starting to then wire our brains in such a way that it's like, oh, okay, this is the thing that gives me pleasure. This is what's sending off my reward systems. Okay, I need to do it over and over and over again. And then it's easy to become addicted to our social media platforms. Again, even mindlessly without recognizing it because it's already giving our brain all those yummy juices. Yes. And would you say that this addiction to our digital devices, this process that you've explained is most more likely to worsen during and even after lockdown? Unfortunately, yes. I do think it's more likely to worsen during lockdown. I, I don't know what it's like around the rest of the world, but in the UAE and in Abu Dhabi in particular, our, our kids are doing distance learning until the end of the year. And so they're already in front of their screens for the entire school day. And the only way that they can connect with their loved ones again is through the screen. And a lot of the ways, especially now that it's summer and we're in the desert, it's really hot. So a lot of the ways that the children are unwinding is where? Through the screen. And so I am finding that there's just such higher numbers of hours that kids are exposed to screens. And I do think that that can easily then start to foster that kind of addiction. Again, it's just kind of getting trapped into that thing of this feels good. I need to do it more. I need to do it more. I need to do it more. And so I do worry that lockdown is making us a little bit more vulnerable to being addicted to screens in ways that we might not have been exposed to before. We have so much more time on our hands, not even just with the children, but adults are also working from home. And we know how easy it is. You might have one thing open and you're working on a document and then a notification goes off and it's like, oh, let me just open this tab. Two hours later, what have you done? Who knows? <laughs> and it's, it's easy to fall into that trap because we're right there. It's so easily accessible to us. And access is amazing, but it also can really be to our detriment. Yes. And it's funny that you mentioned that when the notification goes off and you go the to the platform and then before you know it you've spent half an hour or more on the specific platform because what I find is I go onto say for example Facebook or Instagram to look for something and then mm. a couple of minutes after having gone onto the platform I can't remember what I was looking for anymore <laughs> so there you have it <laughs> I think all the, the negative experiences that come with social media, whether it is uh, mean, degrading comments, comparisons, becoming obsessed with certain accounts, or becoming addicted to checking notifications, can sometimes feel rather trivial, almost normal. Isn't everyone experiencing this? And if you're the only one experiencing, say, that addiction feeling, or perhaps an unhealthy obsession with an account. What does that say about you if you're the only one experiencing that? So 
are these experiences really something we need to be worried about? Yes, I would say, I mean, I think let's normalize it that a lot of the times, yeah, we, we do feel like we're the only ones doing it. But the reason why these platforms are so successful is because we are millions of only ones that are, that are doing it and feeding into this. And, and a lot of people are experiencing that. It's such a, um, it's such a trap, you know, and, and I do think that that's something that we should be worried about, you know, and that it isn't that trivial because it can have some significant effects. I think we just need to keep in mind that although it's not, you know, sometimes uh, just today, for instance, I was talking to someone and they were telling me how, you know, screen addiction is not the same as being addicted to drugs and alcohol, therefore it's not a big deal. You know, that set me back because, okay, yeah, it might not necessarily be immediately fatal, but unfortunately the long-term effects are not that great as well. And thankfully, we live in a time where there's been so much research done on this and we, we know what that can look like. That's interesting. Well, besides potentially damaging our productivity, as we have discussed, another danger is also an increase in anxiety and feelings of unworthiness as we compare ourselves to others, judging from what they post. Social media has become a comparison minefield, and it's really hard to escape from that, regardless of whether you use it for personal or business reasons. According to you, why are people more likely to feel depressed or anxious the more they use social media? I think the social media was really created for us to connect. And we're finding that sometimes what it does is that it makes us disconnect. And I think that that isolation and that sense of isolation really feeds into feelings of depression and anxiety. On top of that isolation, it's that, that comparison that you mentioned. You know, we, we know that comparison really is the thief of all joy. It really, really, really is. Because it's, it's hard to feel good about yourself when you're seeing someone's highlight reel. Because that's all that we're seeing is just these incredible images. And it makes us think that life, other people's lived experiences are incredible. Um, because that's all that we post. And our brains are not necessarily in the moment thinking, oh, this is just that moment, that second was sunny and gorgeous and smiley our brain is not thinking maybe something happened before maybe something happened after maybe this is an actual human being and not just this perfectly curated page so it's easy to then start to compare yourself and to feel lesser than and when you're starting to feel those feelings of isolation and worthlessness sometimes our coping mechanism is to withdraw even further so it just like perpetuates the thing of internalizing our issues and internalizing these and then pushing us further away from others, taking away the fact that social media was for connection and we end up disconnecting even more. Hmm. Yes, and I think to a certain degree, many people experience that disconnection. But once again, it's very hard to talk about it. Because mm. you don't want to be classed as, oh, that person. Mm. So, yes. 
Does this affect people equally? Or would you say there are some people who are actually more susceptible to suffering from anxiety and depression caused by social media? It's hard to say, but I would say that definitely children and teenagers are a lot more susceptible to the effects of social media. And more generally speaking, I suppose people who kind of have an external locus of control where it's their sense of self is often dictated by others. And I mean, a lot of the times we are not even really privy, like we don't even really know if that's us. I think it's the people who really place a lot of value on how others are perceiving them and how others are judging them and who need that kind of validation. And this isn't to say that there's a particular group only of people like that. A lot, most of us fall into that category where it makes us feel good when others perceive us in a certain way. And it makes us feel bad when others perceive us negatively. But there is kind of a spectrum there where with some people, their identity is a lot more kind of formed in that. And I think those people are a lot more susceptible absolutely to suffering from anxiety and depression caused by social media. Because it's, it's, it's definitely not, I mean, it's not something that you can control and it's hard to work on, right? If your sense of identity is coming from yourself, you get to recognize, oh, okay, this is what I want to work on. This is what I want to change. This is how I want to feel about myself. But if you're putting that control onto someone else, I mean, we recognize we can't control other people. And what we do is we try and morph into so many different shapes and colors and ways of being um, just to satisfy others so that we can feel better. And that's, that's an endless pursuit. Yes, that's once again, very, very true. And something to consider as we use social media and also depending on what we see or what we post, just to keep it in mind. Part three. When is it okay to disconnect? As well as saturating us with news and people's opinions about the coronavirus, social media has also helped us stay in touch during this time and perhaps offered some necessary light-hearted distraction in the form of social media challenges. These challenges were really creative and ranged from baking challenges to exercise ones to the toilet roll challenge and also taking photos as if you were a famous painting like the Mona Lisa. Now, firstly, what is your opinion on this? <laughs> um, I'm all for those challenges. I mean, <laughs> I, to be honest, I find that some of them are just exhausting to watch like the 15th get ready kind of challenge but they are i mean I, I i love the fact that people are using it just to do fun and silly things and to provide some humor in really dark times so i i love that i love that there that there is a platform for just like a few seconds of a dance challenge or a makeup challenge or whatever the case might be where people can put their effort into something because a lot of us are kind of locked within four walls and can feel like I have nothing to do. And sometimes these challenges take up several hours of your time for just a 15 second video. And I think that that's a great use of time and creativity and it's a nice way, again, to connect with people and to have people just to bring a bit of light, I suppose, in darkness. So I think those, those moments are really like great to be able to hold on to and to revisit. Yeah. Yes. When I started the podcast, it happened to coincide with the start of lockdown as well. 
and not a great time to start. Well, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but in any case, I just happened to have planned a photography challenge at the time. And it just kind of like slotted in with all of these, I think. And it ended great. up asking um, people to take a photo of what they think regeneration looks like. So I just put a twist to it, a state of normality. So going back to something that is either normal or even better. And I have to say it was a lot of fun um, just to see what people came up with, really. But yes. Yeah. Given that parents have their children at home, is this kind of social media challenges and other kind of things they can do on social media beneficial to keep children and teenagers busy during this time? Or are there some real dangers that parents need mm. to watch out for? Mm, great question. And, it, and it's great for us to be kind of talking about all the incredible things that we're experiencing on social media, but there is a dark side. And I think that, I mean, social media can be beneficial to children and teenagers, right? But again, it's about how and what they're exposing themselves to. And when they're younger, it's a lot harder for them to make that decision to unfollow a certain page or make that decision to block certain comments or mute certain words, especially when they're young and they're so much more susceptible at that age. So definitely something I'm finding that I'm having so many more conversations with parents is to take moments to get to know their kids better so that they can hear a little bit about how their internal dialogue is so you can get an impression of the things that they're doing online and the kinds of things that are influencing them online so that you can see the effect that it's having because it can have a dangerous effect. Cyberbullying is wild. Um, and so many kids are, are communicating in a way where there's, I mean, it's so difficult to, to, to transmit information via text and to have tact and to have decent, like all these things that you would have had in face-to-face -face conversations. So a lot of children are reading things in tones that are incredibly negative. And I mean, some of it is directed to them negatively. And so we also need to be careful of some of the perils of social media because just like I said before, access is amazing. But I mean, access should, especially for young children, I think should be limited. And it's a lot easier to influence your child in terms of how they're using social media when you get to know them and show actual interest rather than saying you're only allowed to be on your phone for x amount of time and i don't want you following this and i don't want you on twitter blah blah blah, blah those kinds of conversations it's a lot easier once you kind of get to their level understand their thinking use their language and then you can start to have a more positive influence on helping them curate the media that they choose to engage in oh yes i think that's a brilliant piece of advice because when I think about telling children, I used to be a teacher, what to do and what not to do, it's kind of like, do not do this, stay away from this. So kind of just getting on their level, I found that a lot more effective to try and explain to them why something might be harmful or how to choose what is better or more beneficial to their lives. What are the habits we need to avoid in general and maybe one or two in particular while the pandemic is ongoing yeah i would say a habit to avoid is just kind of what we were talking about before in terms of disconnecting it's easy to kind of sit and pass the time away by just 
I don't know, Netflixing or just kind of scrolling without making actual connections with people. Our brains need it and our bodies need it. I think something else to avoid during this time is, yeah, I guess excessive screen time, right? And and screen time is lots of things. Screen time is even the TV playing in the background while you're doing something because it ends up just being mindless activities. And it's so much more beneficial. And it, again, it helps with the, the, your, your brain when you're doing something mindfully. So rather than kind of scrolling or scribbling around or typing an email with something in the background, just to kind of switch that off so that you can pay attention to what you're doing. And then when you are having your screen time, you can fully engage with that, right? And when you're on your phone, you can fully engage with your phone rather than watching something on your phone, having a small screen where it's like half the screen of a text and half the screen of an image, kind of doing all these different things at once. It's so much more fulfilling to kind of just focus your attention on one thing at a time when you are using a screen. Um, again, it's, a, it's really just even thinking of the brain itself, it's so much more beneficial to be able to do that. Great. I actually recently heard someone say that multitasking, which to be honest, I'm always priding myself I'm able to do, is like drunk driving. You just oh. don't do it. If you focus on one activity, one task for a couple of minutes, you'll do it much better than focusing on several activities at once. Our social media usage is as much what we expose ourselves to as it is what we post. Once again, posting could lead to a range of negative feelings as we gauge the response we get from the post and sometimes fear what others will think of what we posted. Is there an optimal mental strategy to have, whether we are passive or active users of social media, to avoid it getting us down? Yeah, something to think about, I think, is when, when we're on social media, if, if we're the ones doing the posting, right, I think just to take a second to think of if you're doing this for you or if you're doing it for someone else, usually when we take a beat, we, we just generally make better decisions. Just in life, when we take a second before doing something, we make, we make better decisions. And I think that sometimes we post with the intention of like, uh, without recognizing it, right? You might look through your phone and say, oh, this was a really nice picture. I want to post this up because I like that picture and it's all good and well. And then when you start noticing that you're checking every few minutes to see, did this person see it? Did this person respond? Did that person like it? Um, we need to just take a moment and really think about, you know, who am I posting for? And generally just to also just curate what you're willing to let in and to filter that's something I would really encourage people to do is to filter what they're putting out and what they're taking in and to keep reminding ourselves that all we're seeing is a highlight reel. I really, honestly, all we're seeing is just a highlight reel. Um, and of course, we're doing the exact same thing. We're often not posting when we're sad and eating the brownie straight from the container while watching Desperate Housewives of wherever. We're going to post our brownies just after they got baked with a big smile on our faces because everyone's doing baking challenges online. Um, <laughs> and those are the things that we're posting. So really just to keep in mind that 
that's what social, that's, that's a lot of the reasons why social media is happening. And I think when we realize that, yeah, this is just a highlight reel, it takes us back from that comparison and those kinds of things because we recognize that people are only putting the best parts of themselves out there. And a lot of the time, the things that we're engaging is people's work. And that's also something to keep in mind that a lot of people are content creators, etc. And the things that they're posting, that they're doing that for work, and you might be posting for personal reasons, and your life doesn't look like that. You're not just setting, and you're not using these new products that are out, and you're not being sent particular products and things like that. And just to recognize that that's their job. In the same way that you do your job, that's their job. So those are just a few things, like, I guess, for us to be mindful of when we're engaging. See that it's, it's, kind of, it's a virtual reality. It's not necessarily our reality. It's what people want us to perceive. Yes. Sometimes it's simply better to disconnect completely mm. and even go on a social media detox. I borrow this phrase from a YouTuber that I really enjoy watching videos of, uh, Matt Davila. And he's... Ac- oh, you know him. <laughs> yeah, I love his videos. Yes, you see, that's so the content. Cool. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't going to watch his latest video this lunchtime but because it was on social media i did and he actually admitted that he deleted his facebook page which is something i can't imagine myself doing now (laughs) how do you know it's time to disconnect Mm -hmm. (laughs) what i'm enjoying so much these days about our smartphones is that they tell us how much time we're spending on certain applications so most phones lately have settings where they can tell you you're spending X amount on YouTube, you're spending X amount on Instagram. And I think being confronted with that reality, I mean, for me personally, was shocking. Because just like you, I was just all about multitasking, doing, you know, like octopus hands, doing a thousand things at once. And I didn't realize how much time I was spending on my phone. And I think just being confronted with those numbers itself made me stop in my tracks. And I knew that I needed to disconnect. I 100% realized that, I mean, this isn't serving anyone because, again, I can't tell you how this has added to my life today. (laughs) And yet so many hours have passed. And I think that that's something that's helpful for us uh, to use that, that we can really track and see ourselves, right? It's like a mirror to say, oh, okay, all right, all right, this is how I'm spending my time. So that's one of the times that we can know when to disconnect is when we're seeing how many hours we're spending on things. And I think when we, when we start to recognize that logging on to certain things are, are giving our bodies a sense of distress and unease, whether it's not in your tummy or even you kind of thinking a little bit more negatively, because sometimes there is that compulsion, even though you don't want to go to someone's page you still kind of want to go there and you can kind of feel that unease settling in, but you're still going to click that link. I think when you start to recognize how that's affecting you, even like physical sensations, I think that's really a good time to disconnect um, because it's not feeding you. And if it's going to take away from you, then, then it's really not worth it. Yes. That's once again, just so, so true. And thank you for joining me today, Benet, and sharing your insights. Before we go, I have a few quick questions to round up the show, and I'm going to start with a surprise question. 
how much time do you spend on social media? Would you say? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I went from like a good, I mean, okay, full disclosure. I went from like a good six hours, truly, on average, like a good six hours, to now I think I'm, t I'm trying to take it down to about two or so hours. But this is inclusive of checking my emails on my phone, blah, 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 all those different kinds of things. And just like with Matthew Vela, I suppose I'm watching quite a few of these videos that are really helpful to help me think about, like, if I'm doing my emails, let me not do it on my phone. Let me actually use my laptop. Mm -hmm. So to separate certain duties from different things, so that when I'm on my phone, if I'm going to be using that, it's for particular reasons and work things are going to be on the laptop. Because again, it's so easy to, if I'm on my phone anyways, I might as well do this and I might as well do that. And so I'm trying to really take it. Because when I saw six hours, I was blown away. I was like, what am I doing all the time on my phone? That's crazy. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say, I have not actually checked how many hours I spend. So I might need to do that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> What is the most recent film series you watched, podcast you listened to, or book you read? A book I, a book I recently read, I don't remember the author, but it's called um, A House in the Sky. It's a memoir. I mean, it was harrowing, but it was an incredible page turner, a memoir of kind of kidnapping in Somalia. Um, and yeah, that, that really, really stood out for me. That's, that's a book that I mean, I would recommend if people have the stomach for it. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's been nice to use that as a distraction to kind of go into something else. And even like physically being able to turn the page of a book has been really satisfying. Yeah. Great. A house in the sky. Mm, a house in the sky. Yeah. What is your number one tip to help us cope during this time? Oh, number one. <laughs> I mean, I have a couple, I guess. But I think, okay, number one is to limit the amount of news. I think more than anything, really just to limit the amount of news that, that you're taking in. News is important, right? It's, it's really important for us to understand what's happening, what the current events are, what statistics are, all those different kinds of things. But it's, yeah, just being careful not to over-consume the news because we tend to kind of feel really stuck and helpless if that's all that we're consuming. And so we want to have a balance. So I would definitely advocate for people to try and find balance. I've been recently talking to different people and, and just really seeing how having hobbies has been so beneficial, right? To being able to do something with our hands. Just the process of creating something out of nothing with your hands is so wonderful. Whether it's in baking, because I love to bake, but what's lovely about it is like an egg doesn't taste like a, like a cake sugar doesn't taste like a cake, cocoa by itself doesn't taste, but you're able to kind of put these things together and create a masterpiece. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even if the masterpiece is just banana bread <laughs> that everyone is baking. Oh, um, I, totally, I totally agree with you. I love baking as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and honestly, just that process is so healing and so therapeutic. It's helpful then to think about what it is that I can do with my hands because if we're just taking in the media, it's like, oh, there's so much that I can't do. So much is falling apart around me. I don't know what to do. And it's like, okay, but what can I do? I can, I can make something yummy. I can make my home smell good. I can tend to my plants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great tip. Tell us about the biggest challenge that you've overcome in your life. 
I, interestingly enough, I think one of the biggest challenges I had to overcome in my life is to go to therapy. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. always been the person that people come to, right? I've always been the container, the person who prides themselves on being able to hold people together. And I think coming to the realization that like, hey, I'm a person. <laughs> I'm not just the thing that people are depositing into. That was hard for me. And I didn't realize that I had internalized certain messages about therapy because it's then like, why, why is this so difficult for me? I, a lot of that, of course, had to do with practicing vulnerability and opening up and trusting someone else. And I think that made me appreciate connection and it made me just appreciate like relationships so much more. That was definitely one of the really, really biggest challenges I had to overcome is to really be vulnerable enough to recognize that okay therapy can be beneficial to even me (laughs) and what is the first place or country that you will visit when this is over oh I just want to go outside man (laughs) that's that's the place I want to visit is outside (laughs) yeah I guess the first thing that comes to mind is just somewhere maybe wintry uh whatever whenever we yep exactly (laughs) yeah we're stepping into 40 degree weather here so i i just can't wait to feel the cool air and some clouds (laughs) by the way can you go outside or are you limited to just work place home yeah at the moment there are some restrictions they're being lifted little by little and some parks are opening up again, etc. But for the most part, it is quite limited. I thankfully, I'm I'm still working from our clinic, so I've still been able to get up and go most days of the week, which has been helpful, really, really helpful to keep me sane and not just kind of staying home. And people are jogging around outside, but it's too hot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, little by little, um, the outside is becoming a reality for us great (laughs) and then lastly if someone wanted advice on starting a career in the field of psychology what would you tell them i would really advise them to get in touch with psychologists i think that's something that i didn't do enough of and it's helpful to know people who are in the field so that you know kind of what it's like and to not feel like you have to carry it all by yourself. I've noticed that in our field where most of us are wounded healers and a lot of us have a tough time asking for help and we put so much pressure on ourselves to have things figured out. And I would really advise someone to make use of their connections and to open themselves up because that's going to help them on their journey and it's going to help them in preparation of of their field and of the career. So definitely, yeah, see how you can get in touch with someone, whether it's on LinkedIn or on social media or online, just to kind of foster a relationship with someone who's in the field so that you can have an idea as to what it is that you're stepping into. Yes. Thank you so much again, Benet. This has been really great. I found this very beneficial and I'm sure a few listeners or hopefully all of them will as well. Thank you for listening to the show. If you are worried about the amount of time you spend on social media or if going on to social media leaves you feeling empty, anxious or insecure, 
Remember that you have control over what you see and how much you see of it. Unfollow accounts that have a detrimental effect on your well-being and perhaps take a break from social media altogether. When you exit the comparison minefield, you'll realise that nobody can take your worth away. Your worth is not dependent on likes or your life in comparison with someone else's virtual life. What you see on social networks is a digital screen. You don't know what actually goes on behind it. I say this because I often feel that I need to do more, that I need to be better or more like somebody else when I go on social media. But I then remind myself that real fulfilment comes from something that is tangible, whether this is having a supporting friendship in real life or doing something positive and meaningful. If you would like further advice, feel free to get in touch with Bene Kasabua or another counsellor in your area. All details will be given in the show notes. As always, I'd like to encourage you to express your concerns. And at any point, if you think you know of anyone who might benefit from listening to this episode, someone who's struggling with social media addiction perhaps, please share it with them. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this narrative journey, kindly spread the word by leaving me a review on Apple or Google Podcasts or Spotify, by sharing the podcast episode and giving me a thumbs up on social media, I can reach as many people as possible and thereby reach the right people, the ones who might find it beneficial and perhaps even life-changing. Join me next time for more narrative journeys into creative business ideas.